know it's sugar free Now tell me girl, how you like your tea? Up in here, we like it sugar free Come through, stop by, get up with me With your girl sitting back, I'm a little crazy Ooh, right here with me It's where you wanna be Let's get it sugar free, yeah Now tell me girl I thought that I knew about them Thought that they would never do me wrong Well, they smile in your face When all the time they wanna take your place Goodbye, goodbye To all the fake people in my life I never wanted you around me So be on your way now You got a case of the fake people Ow, ow, ow Case of the fake people Wait, wait, friends Come back. I'm not talking to you. I was just singing a song. It's a throwback, but hey, if you know, you know. <laughs> Anywho, I was singing that song to myself because today I'm telling my imposter syndrome goodbye. Bye, fake person. Bye, feelings of fakeness. Like you don't deserve your seat at the table or your medals or your awards or your flowers. The lies. Bye, Felicia. When I first was starting out in my career, I questioned my place, I questioned my worth, and many times the confidence I projected to the world was just as fake as I felt. The layers of imposter syndrome can run so deep, y'all. That's why I needed a really special guest here today to help me talk about combating those internal feelings of inadequacy to help us all say, bye Felicia, to imposter syndrome. Today we will be sitting down with attorney, realist, fashionista, and social media activist, Abimbola Oladokun, or Abby for short, as we discuss the real feelings of imposter syndrome. We will be discussing the topic from our unique perspectives as black women attorneys, but make no mistake about it, these feelings can happen anywhere and to anyone at any time. So stay vigilant, friends. And with that, let's welcome our guest. Abby, please tell the good people who you are and what you do. My name is Abimbola Ladakun, and I am a lawyer at a tech company. But I think beyond that, I love travel. I really think that eating food with loved ones is a spiritual experience. Fashion is my best friend. It's the way that I express myself, buck against trends, honestly explore and celebrate my Blackness and you know beauty as a Black woman. And yeah, I think I can sometimes be a little bit of a political commentator on my small but mighty Instagram. (laughs) Uh, But that's, you know, that's how I release because there's a lot going on in the world. So happy to talk here with you today. And I'm really excited to get into this topic. Same. Thank you so much for joining us today. So your Instagram activism (laughs) is what I'm calling it. It's actually. Okay, girl. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You be gathering up the people on Instagram. Yes, your outspokenness, just your willingness to say the things that aren't popular to say and may not make you a whole lot of friends, I feel like was why I really wanted to have you here today to discuss this particular topic because it's going to probably be a little bit uncomfortable. (laughs) So today's (laughs) topic is feeling real fake, combating imposter syndrome. And so for me as a black woman in a predominantly white male profession, I have felt so many times in my career feelings of insecurity, a lack of confidence, a questioning of whether or not I belong. And so in addition to being a black woman, there's some other factors that we're going to get into today um, that have contributed to my insecurity in the profession. But before we get into the meat and potatoes of the conversation, I want to do a little level setting. Okay, and I want to bring to the table today a definition of imposter syndrome because it may be a term that not everyone's familiar with or people may have different ideas about what it is. But for the purposes of today's conversation, 
Because, you know, we're lawyers. We like to define Level things. Set. I like got shivers. <laughs> I was like, yes, give us a framework. Yes. Let us. Girl, yes. yes. We got to know what something is in order to know what it define ain't. Define it. Define it. I, yes. I appreciate you. I do. <laughs> so according to the Harvard Business Review, imposter syndrome is a label characterized by internal feelings that is often assigned to women. One issue with the characterization is that it doesn't take into account the external factors that ultimately contribute to those feelings for women. So I want to start off today's conversation by asking you, what are some of the things that you've experienced that may have caused you to question your place or to have feelings of imposter syndrome in a professional setting? In a professional setting? Well, I think that the seeds of imposter syndrome, honestly, were planted in school. So I felt that as a young woman, a young black woman, I was an immigrant. I was always the only black kid or usually the only black kid in my class. I think that's where the seeds started. So it's, like when you, you say know, school, like middle school, high school, college. Um, excellent question. I would say middle school, high school. So middle school, you know, that's where they start doing the standardized testing and you perform as well as everybody else, but there's always a reason why you have to do an extra step or why you can't go into certain classes because you're not quote unquote at that level yet. So I've definitely had that happen to me. I've had, you know, in high school, I had a teacher look at me for a good 15, 30 seconds. And, you know, it was an advanced class and he asked me for my schedule to confirm that I was supposed to be in the class. And I was the only black kid. And like, it's one of those things, like you don't, you don't know how to name it when you're that young, but that's when it starts. It's the othering of you in these usually homogenous spaces. And so I think in professional settings, how it manifested for me, I just never felt that I was smart enough. Like I always felt that I was running towards this goal that everyone was so far ahead of me. Mm. Everyone had read all the books. Mm. Everyone had done all the classes. <laughs> everyone is talking in all these words and I'm secretly going on Wikipedia. Girl, like, what does this mean? <laughs> Girl yes. Siri, what does this mean? Um, I felt it, especially as a lawyer, right? Because lawyers, for better or for worse, we love touting our intelligence job. It can be a little toxic. <laughs> A little. Can be a little toxic. <laughs> and accomplishments too. Right. And accomplishments. I went here, here, and here. And I think, you know, especially as you're already a Black person, and whether people want to admit it or not, people don't think Black people are as intelligent, even though we're achieving the same things, if not more, with, the, with more obstacles. And so I felt like I've been battling for a long time this idea that it can't be that I'm inferior. I've done the things. I'm here with everybody else, mm -hmm. but feeling like the way that people talk to me, the assignments that I don't get, the comments that are made about my appearance, the reasons why I don't get that promotion, those are all the ways in which the system and people in charge of it are telling me I don't belong and I'm not supposed to be here. We're just we're just doing this as a little experiment so we can say that we got diversity. Um, <laughs> girl. That's sugar-free. You girl, said sugar-free. No, and I want it sugar-free. And I know, feel like, yes. I don't get, you know, I don't get the promotion yet. I'm being told to do all the diversity, the diversity interviews that I don't get credit for. Right. Mind you. But you need me because otherwise it looks bad that you've got an all white department firm, whatever. And so I think for me, the imposter syndrome is just been like feeling like I don't belong. Like y'all really don't want me here. And I'm starting to believe you that mm -hmm. I don't belong here, but also battling this, this real like sense of self and intuition that no, it's not you. It's the environment. And yes. having that rest wrestling of those two voices within me has been like a lifetime struggle battle that I continue to, to wear. I, I can relate to so much of what you just said. I had heard somebody recently describe the microaggressions and everything that people of color experience in the workplace as a death by a million paper cuts. 
right? And so it's not necessarily these blatant overt acts of exclusion. It's these small little things that over time have you seriously questioning everything. And for me, I will say that my feelings of imposter syndrome started to manifest themselves in school as well, but not necessarily as early as middle or grade school. And, And I'm not sure why. I think that having the the feelings of comfort of having my family around me and that support helped me to maintain my confidence and having my, you know, like every day, somebody being right there, like you go girl, you know, (laughs) advocating for you and being like, yes, that's actually not what's going to happen. You know? Right. Yeah. Right. And then when you get out into the world. And so I started really feeling it when I came to law school and girl, it was, it was terrible. Was of hell. It is. And, <laughs> and, and so Abby and I weren't classmates in law school, but we met through a diversity program right before law school. Yes, girl. <laughs> so, we sure did. Yes, we did. We did. Yeah. So navigating that kind of experience at different places, but kind of together was helpful, but I still felt these feelings of not belonging because in, in law school, in the profession, there's these boxes that you have to check in Absolutely. order to be considered worthy. And mm-hmm. I have never checked any of those boxes. <laughs> like, yeah. So like some of the, the boxes that I have seen be recurring throughout my career that I've never checked was having good grades and being at the top of your class. Now, I'm not yeah. going to say I was a slouch, but like just like you said, I was the first in my family to go to law school. All of these concepts were foreign. I'll never forget the first day of law school. This young woman said, and, and she was um, white, uh, very nice young lady. But, you know, again, like lawyers like to brag on themselves. Of course. <laughs> lawyers like to tout their intelligence. And yeah. so the first thing our professor asked us to do was to go around the room and say, what we did that summer. And she raised her hand and said, I got to spend the entire summer interning with the attorney general of New York. And our professor was like, wow, that's a great opportunity. And she was like, how did you get that opportunity? My father is the attorney general of New York, right? And And that's the question (laughs) that needs to be asked more often. And that's what I've been battling my imposter syndrome with, quite frankly, is really, really understanding that the game is not played fairly. The levels are not the same. And we need to call it out more. So that question from your professor, I'm sure he wasn't, you know, they weren't even trying to be shady. It's just, you know, follow up question. He was impressed. I mean, we all were. (laughs) I'd be like, oh, oh, right. Right. Um, But yeah, it's just so it's so important, right? Like that type of like those type of like nuggets. And it's not discounting the people that's, you know, it's still amazing. Like your dad still had to give you the opportunity. Right. But it's like, we're not the same, right? I don't have connections to no attorney general, talk less of an attorney in my family, other than my uncle who passed. But like, I don't, I don't think that people realize how access and connections ease your worry that you don't belong Mm -hmm. because the door is just open for you. And you just think that this was meant for you. And it may be for the rest of us who are still got to build the door, got to put it in the frame, then got to open the door to get through the, I'm like, that's, it's different. It's different. It is. I'm allowed to say that it's different. I think that's another thing, right? We say, "Mm, your experience was different than mine. And people want to get upset and try to suggest that we're critiquing your accomplishments. I'm not critiquing your accomplishments. I'm just saying that you didn't have to do as much work as I did. And that's just a bare fact. Whether you want to yeah. live with that, that's your business. But I'm not about to sit here battling all the isms as a black woman in a white, predominantly white profession. And you try to tell me that it's the same. It's not. Yeah, it's really not. Yeah. Even like your baseline knowledge. Right. So she Girl. grew up in a household where legal topics and concepts probably came up around the dinner table yes. because of right by virtue of. um yes. 
what her father did for a living, yeah. whereas those types of things never came up in in any type of conversation. I, I wasn't able to go to work with my parent and they, yeah. you know, have meetings and things where you're just hearing things and yes. picking up on Exposure. things. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. And so when I got to law school, similar to how you said, like every time somebody said something, I'm like, oh, yeah. Right. Let me look it up real quick. Like, right. what does that mean? Or yes. like, what are you trying to say? And so yes. when you have the attorney general of New York's daughter sitting across from you, and I'm very <laughs> proud of my mom and what she does and where she came from. But it's sometimes it's like, how did I how did I get here? Like, do oh, do I belong here? Absolutely. And, you know, All like, the time. All the yeah. Time. So then on top of that, I didn't do well my first year of law school. And so not because I didn't try, but because oh. I think the learning curve was just that steep. Yeah, I had exactly. so far to go. I finished my first semester of law school with a 2.7. And then everybody's like, oh, you know, it'll get better. The, the next semester, it'll get better. Girl, I finished the next semester with a 2.65. And I was on a scholarship and I had to maintain a 2.5 to keep my scholarship. So after thinking long and hard with my parents, I was like, I can't do extracurricular activities no more because I need to keep my scholarship so I can stay in school. And so I didn't try out for journal. And I, I don't know that I've ever shared like the full reason why I never tried no. out for journal. I had to focus on school. Like I had to get my grades up. Right. So I didn't do journal. I didn't even try out for it. I didn't try out for moot court or mock trial. Like school was more than all I could handle at that particular time. So then that's another thing, right. That's holding me back because journal moot court and mock trial are all the things yes. that yes. people are looking for yes. to have in order to check those boxes. And so by the time I got to my second year, my grades had come up, but now people are getting internships and yes. and I'm not <laughs> right. Like I'm not. And so it's just like this string of events. The first being not getting great grades that kind of put me on this path of inferiority in the eyes and the minds of the people who were holding the cards and the opportunities. Yeah. And it's yeah. been something that has been very difficult to catch up on. And because I still don't check those boxes, like getting the big firm, a so summer associateship, getting the big firm job out of law school because of that domino effect, there's still these feelings of, am I good enough? Do I belong? Because like I said, the people holding those cards are telling me you can't work here you can't do this because you don't check that box, not even right. taking into consideration how hard I had to work, right? That right. I had to, to work a job oh. in law school, right? Like that, so that I was living in a 500 square foot apartment that I shared with my remember. boyfriend at the time, right? Like, so that we could, so that I didn't have to, you know what I mean? Like all these different factors, like nobody's taking all those things into account, but yeah. those reinforcing of my lack of, standing, I guess you can say, has definitely contributed to my feelings of not belonging over the years. I just wanted to give you your flowers right now. <laughs> I know this is not part of the podcast, but like, I think we should give space for the fact that like, you have really done the damn thing. You are now a professor. You Girl. have worked because what we're talking about here is trauma to a certain extent. We're talking about repeated instances that have really scarred us and that we're trying to heal from. Yes. And in many ways, it has affected not only our our professional, but our personal. Like, I think that's one thing that people don't get about imposter syndrome is that it doesn't have to remain stationary in just your professional life. It can bleed into the personal. And I think for me, if I really thought about some of the things, the decisions I've made, <laughs> people I've dated, like how much of that was just like <laughs> me not thinking I was good enough. And yeah. how does that mirror with professional, right? And so I want to make sure that, you know, like I've, you know, I've known you for a while and like you have done the damn thing and it is not easy to do what you've done. And I really just want you to know that, like you have pushed you. through incredible obstacles and have established yourself in a way that a lot of people would have quit long ago. They would have been like, well, no, I'm not supposed to be a lawyer or, well, I'm just going to like whatever. And you, I felt really that too. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried to quit you, like 2012. 
my mama won't let me (laughs) i know i'm looking at my i'm looking at my i'm like i do get paid well though you know um but yeah no everything you said like i just i really do i agree with you i feel it um you know and i also think on the other side like even if you did check those boxes you'll you can still end up on the outs like i'll think about some of the experiences i've had and like I went to two really good schools. I got good grades. I did a journal. I um, was head of OBS. Yeah, and I you're still... doing the damn thing too, girl. Like <laughs> let's 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 not uh, play around about it. You deserve flowers too because it's just yeah. a flower fest. It's yes, a because to women. excel and succeed in those environments isn't easy either. Yes. Well, so we talked a little bit about the external experiences. So I want to talk about the internal effect because you talked about trauma and healing from the trauma. And so I want to talk a little bit about how those external experiences like did affect your internal thoughts and Mm -hmm. and what kinds of things were you thinking about yourself? And, you know, like I want to get into that. I know you kind of glossed over, but I want to like what types of how how did you internalize? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm Nigerian and for a lot of people who know Nigerians, like we're already like a lot of us are like already have very high expectations placed on us academically and stuff like that. But I think, you know, adding the weight of, uh, imposter syndrome, I, what I'm still struggling with is like, do I deserve the success that I've had? Does that make sense? Um, break it down, break it down a little bit for us. So I realized a couple years ago, but really the last year or two with my new job, I don't really celebrate myself. Like Mm. I think that everything, oh, it just, that was supposed, like, I'm supposed to get that job or not, not like, you know, I'm do that job, but like, that was the expectation that was like, that's not a big deal. Everyone gets those jobs. And one, you need to kind of just deconstruct who's everyone. Are, am I comparing myself to white people? If I compare myself to black people, if it's black people, that's not true because there aren't that many of us in these positions. And I think what I've noticed about myself is that imposter syndrome in some cases had made me think that there had to be a reason why I got it and it had nothing to do with my intelligence. Does that make sense? Yes. And I discounted my accomplishments because I don't think that it was my actual will and intelligence that got me here. Mm -hmm. It had to be something else because I failed in that firm or I failed in this work environment. And so how am I now in this position where I'm at a really cool job with really cool people? And I think that it's the imposter syndrome. It's me thinking that I don't belong here for a different reason now different and the same in that I don't, maybe I just don't think that I have the credentials or I don't think that I've, I haven't suffered enough. How did I get this? How is this mine? And so I think that one, it it makes me feel unworthy and I'm still working through that. I also think that I am very hard on myself, Mm. very hard on myself, Mm. A a small mistake. And like, I'm like, oh, no one else would have done that. Why aren't you paying attention? Da, 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 da. And I think with this new job and, you know, other and friends that I've been grateful to have in my life is like really just kind of bring myself down to earth. I'm allowed to make mistakes. Yes. And part of this is, you know, being a black woman and because people just expect black women to work for free. Um, for That's free. a whole other episode. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, that you know, I'm just supposed to be constantly working and supposed to be good product all the time. And I can't make mistakes because one mistake for me, it's the end. I'm losing my job. I'm going to lose my career. And in many cases, I've seen that happen, which is why, you know, it's stuck in my head versus our white counterparts who can make mistakes, Mm -hmm. who can make mistakes because you see it happen and you make the same mistake and it's a bigger deal. And so I think, having those experiences of trauma where like, I'm like, well, I just saw him do the same thing, if not worse. And you didn't say anything, but now we're in a meeting with me and two other partners. And now we're talking about whether or not I'm 
cut out and all this stuff. And that's also a form of trauma because it makes me think that every mistake is the end of the world. Mm. Um, and sometimes it's not even a mistake. Sometimes yeah. it's just like a different route that I took that may not be this, what, what other people would have done, but that's okay. It doesn't have to be the same. Yeah. And so just to wrap it up, I think for me, it's really being hard on myself for the mistakes that I've made, but then also thinking that I just haven't earned it. Like it's not, there's another reason why this happened to me. It's not because of my intelligence that I got these things. So those are the two big pieces that I've been uncovering about how imposter syndrome manifests itself within me. There's so much to unpack there. I feel like to unravel one thing that really I think stood out to me is your differences and how they're not valued in the workplace or potentially understood. And yeah. so we're expected to to behave in a in a way that and to dress a certain way, to look a certain way in order to assimilate and fit in that may not be natural or most mm -hmm. comfortable, but because the the majority may not understand or recognize or value our differences yep. you know yep. you you don't feel comfortable to show up in those ways for fear right like it's i'm protecting myself i'm yes. i'm straightening yes. my hair yes. <laughs> i'm doing something that feels unnatural which may be keeping my mouth shut or not using a colloquialism that would be a totally appropriate, even if my counterparts feel comfortable using it, right? Like you're putting all these things and a, a friend called it a mask. Like you're putting on, right? Absolutely. You're right. Not necessarily for any other reason than for self-preservation and Ooh, protection, bro. right? And so all those things help to contribute, I think, to imposter syndrome, because if I can't show up in any other way, than somebody else, right? The only way that I can be accepted here is if I show up as yeah, somebody else, seriously. how am I supposed to feel like I belong? Like yeah. how, how, who I am is valued here. And, and that really resonated with me about what all you just said. And so all that being the case, I, I want to know if those feelings that you've uncovered internally about how these external factors make you feel if those things have caused you to show up differently in the oh, yeah. workplace and in what ways maybe for sure I think in the beginning in the mask it's like a thousand pound mask that you put on every day and I think for me it was one way that it manifested for me was I was just not as outspoken on things. I'm pretty outspoken. You know, I'm always respectful, but I'm, I'm pretty outspoken. Like that doesn't make sense or well, why are we doing this? And I noticed that, you know, depending on who it was, people would just not acknowledge what I said, unless someone else said it in a different way. And then it was all of a sudden, like what we were doing, even though I'm like, yep. I could have sworn I just said, <laughs> sworn that was what I said. <laughs> yeah, I um, I've been there, you know, <laughs> I, I do that's like verbatim. Um, <laughs> yep. and so I think that told me, okay, your opinion is not valued. And so I just got quiet. So quiet. I would go to my office. I would close the door. So many people had their door open because we would go in and out and chat. And I just did not feel comfortable. You know, people aren't coming into your office to like see how your weekend is. Like they'll do the precursor, like, oh, how was your weekend? But there's always like the other shoe that's about to drop. You know, it's going to be about your hours or this work product that they didn't like or X, Y, and Z. And so that kind of anxiety also built up within me, I felt like. And it made me just want to shut the world away at work. I just mm -hmm. want to be by myself. I can account for how I'm going to treat myself, but I can't account for how you're going to treat me. And it seems like whatever I do, you're going to like use it to like say something's wrong with me. And I think dress, I definitely agree with that. Though over time, I was like, this is, these clothes are ugly. I don't like these clothes. So I'm just going to wear, I'm just going to wear what I want. I'm going to get my nail. I'm going to get my nails done. I'm going to get braids. And I think at that point I just started doing, because I knew I wasn't going to last. Right. I knew I wasn't yeah. a partner here. So it yeah. was like, at this point, I might as well just be comfortable. Okay. Yes. I'm like, <laughs> I might as well just wear what I'm going to wear. It's not going to be here long. So 
but I did, I agree with you that I did initially was like, you know, the suits and the pants and the heels and it just wasn't myself. And I think something that you said is like this mask that you're putting on externally. And I think another thing that just is really important that people should really just value about what we're saying is like imposter syndrome is really separation, a separation between your intuition and yourself. Like, I feel like we have to divorce what we know to be true all the time in these really toxic places where imposter syndrome manifests and is actually promoted, right? Because maybe you don't want Black girls and Black women to get promoted. Maybe you don't want Black women as directors and VPs because it can't be that all of us leave at the same level when we all have the same, if not better credentials. And that's another thing that we should also make sure that's out there. (laughs) Just just, let it hang in the air. (laughs) I'm just saying, right? Because as my, as a black attorney at who's worked in many places, the black people that I know that I've worked with credentials have been platinum Mm -hmm. and they have to be, Mm -hmm. they have to be, they're not giving us these opportunities with regular, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way, credentials. There very much is this expectation as a Black person, you have to exceed expectations placed on everybody else because it's really meant to inhibit us. And the power of Black people is that we continue to hit that bar over and over again. Yes. You, they're like, okay, so what, so now what are we going to do? Oh, so the work, the work is going to be distributed free market system, which is always fun because free market is essentially you have to go to people and they give you work. And then if it works out, you have a stream of work. Okay. If you're a black woman or a black man or a black non-binary person in a workplace that is white heteronormative, you're already battling a couple of identities that are not welcome here. Mm-hmm. And so systems that are promoting getting to know people and creating relationships. That's not meant for you. That's meant for majority white spaces. And so I just think that the conditions are not meant for us to thrive. I'm, and I've just recently had a friend get promoted to partner. So she did it. Shout out to yes. her. I'm really, I'm really, really, really yes. proud of her. But you know, that's not the norm. A lot of us don't get those opportunities and get that success because that's the the system. The plan is working. It is meant to be that way. The plan. (laughs) The plan is working. Oh my gosh. So one of the things that I think has been really interesting, especially right now is in the midst of a pandemic, we have been forced to have to work from home and we're all hustling with whether or not work from home or working in the office environment is more mm. collegial, whether it's more collaborative. And for me, I feel like I know you're going. I love working from home because wow. people make the assumption that because we were all physically together, everybody was collaborating, interacting, everybody was kicking and having a good time. And I'm like, I really enjoy being and working at home. It has given me a sense of peace, a sense mm. of comfort. I don't have to battle those internal demons every day about having a sense of belonging. I don't have to, you know what I mean? It's not a consideration. And if somebody says something that offends me or hurts my feelings, you know what I do, girl? I close the laptop, right? (laughs) Right? That exchange is over. Or even just having the ability to pick up the phone and call my mom and like have a moment in private. Because it's hello, because you can't have a private moment in the office, but I can't show emotion in the office because that'll go down. Someone, some people (laughs) find out by the end of lunch, girl, you, you really can't. And so I'm like, in terms of imposter syndrome, it takes that out of the equation for me. And I have really appreciated that. I really appreciate that. I don't have to be in the office and I've been given that, that leeway, but it's, it's just so many mental gymnastics that we have to do in order Mm. to show up and be the person that people expect us to be that from home for me has removed a lot of those things. So I'm so eternally grateful. I'm like, 
that's a discussion that's not being had, right? It's like this awkward conversation as you just so beautifully put, like you're just watching people discuss like returning to the office without acknowledging that the office space is not equal. It is not comforting. It is not welcome to all. And for many black people, think that the reason why a lot of us are feeling better working from home is because we have removed the interaction piece with a lot of with a lot of coworkers who are out to really just make our work experience terrible whether on consciously or not it is as you said it is a mental battle of epic proportions to go into work every day and have to try to guess how you're going to get tried. <laughs> right? Like <laughs> your body, and like this, yes. I want to get like, the physiological like aspect of that, right? Like your body is in fight or flight mode for eight hours. Mm-hmm. That's not healthy, right? And we already, you know, that's a separate conversation about how stress kills Black people, Black women. And like, you know, I lost hair. I, had like skin issues based on my work environment. And I, I couldn't agree with you more of just how people don't really appreciate uh, like the work environment is, can be very toxic and my work is better when I'm at home. Right. I can choose whether or not I'm going to take that meeting with you. Mm. Maybe I'm just going to block off time and do something else, but I'm still maintaining my relationships I'm still achieving my assignments. Um, and so I love that, you know, obviously, and I want to say like the, the pandemic is a tragic ongoing event, but it has pushed people to think about what makes me happy in terms of how I work. And it's really forced us to examine the ways in which a lot of our work environments are toxic and oppressive, particularly for um, marginalized people such as ourselves. Yes, girl. All of that. All of that. And like I said, I'm so grateful. I am so grateful that I've been given an opportunity to to have the flexibility because yeah. I'm like, I'm so happy here. <laughs> no, it looks, I mean, it, honestly, I was going to say like your setup looks great. I'm actually like going to steal some ideas. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's so, I mean, exhausting. I'm, I, it's, it's, exhausting. it's exhausting. And like, don't get me wrong. I'm going to go back to the office because I've got, I, got a job in the pandemic because I've never been in the office. Mm. But if even when before the pandemic, I was definitely that girl that was like, if I don't have meetings or I don't need to like, you know, a filing or something, I'm not coming to the office. I'm mm. not putting myself in a position. So people are like, well, what is she doing here? Like, do you need work or, you know, the, 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 the feeling of being picked apart whether it's someone talking to you or whether it's just the looks, all that stuff goes into account of how a lot of black people don't want to go back, go back to the work environment. It's not just about being spoken to crazy. And I think something you said earlier that I think is really important is that these racist microaggressions that happen to black people, it's not always covert or excuse me, overt. In my experience, it's been covert where, which is, cause all with, you know, with the overt stuff, it's like, okay, I know where you stand. Like, yeah. I don't got to guess. I don't have to like think, I wonder if she likes me. <laughs> like, oh no, you said that. <laughs> so I know that you're on that side and I'm on this side, girl. We will not meet ever again. I think I have had situations where it's been more like, I just feel like something is off. I feel like I'm being treated differently. I feel like I'm being put to the side. I feel like I'm not being given the same opportunities. And, you know, instead of people when given the opportunity, because I think one thing that people may people don't like is when black women assert themselves and when we force you, like if you're going to make a decision about my job, my livelihood, I'm going to need you to say it, need Mm. you to put it in writing, but I need you to say it to my face. And I've just seen a lot of black women who have asked for that type of respect in the workplace who have not been given it. I don't know if it's my job to convince white people that it's happening. It is mm-hmm. period. I, I, I think I'm over trying to convince folks that oppression in the workplace is a thing mm-hmm. because 
Toni Morrison. Yes, I'm in the process of reading her entire collected work. Same. And she mentioned, you know, racism, the, the function of racism is distraction because it will force you to keep explaining yourself over and over again. So when you see in these workplaces where they're like, we're committed to diversity and we're committed to get, we've been saying this over and over again. It is the same iteration of, we just need to get more black people and then it'll be done. That's not the issue that we've been talking about. We're talking about two different things. And I feel like people are trying to get us to lower the vibration, lower the discussion to just talking about getting people in the workforce. When it's really about equity, it's about mm-hmm. promotion, it's about quality of work, it's about people not trying to touch my hair, Ooh. it's about people not, <laughs> you know, commenting on like whether it's my name or what I'm eating or all these things. That's the quality of the experience mm-hmm. is what we're talking about. We're not talking about getting the door because we can if you let us in. So, yeah, I, I just completely agree with everything that you said about just how the workplace isn't friendly for everyone. Like not everyone's jumping to get back. I, you know, I think the <laughs> Sunday before return to the office, there's going to be a lot of sage burning and a lot of, <laughs> a lot of Erica Badu, a lot of just eat, pray, love going on because it takes a lot of work. It really, really does. And there's way too much introspection going on for the, within the oppressed. I think oppressed people are, do have introspection, but I don't think a lot of our white colleagues really appreciate how they may not be providing a good work, work environment. Like it's not just about being nice and saying, Hey, like it's more than that. It's standing up for me when people mm. are trying me mm. publicly, Both. publicly standing up for Girl, me. Girl, testify. <laughs> testify. <laughs> publicly. <laughs> it's when I put something up for discussion and it gets shot down don't then tell me when we're alone. Oh, you're so brave to do that. It's so it goes back to your point of being public about it. If, if you hear something shady going on behind my back, I want to know about it because the last thing I want to be want to have happen is me being blindsided. It takes a lot more work than I think a lot of white counterparts realize to be friendly and in community with your black employee, employees, <laughs> employers, whatever. I think too many of them think it's just well, I didn't call her a name or I'm not actively being mean to her. Your silence is violence too. Mm. Yes. Well, that is such a great place to kind of come to the end of this conversation. So before I let you go, two-part question, what work have you done over the years to build your confidence and to reinforce the fact that you are qualified, you check all the boxes and that you do belong? And then what advice do you have for other women or young professionals out there who are also battling imposter syndrome, who are trying to get to that level of confidence that either you're there or still working toward? What a wonderful Wonderful questions. <laughs> so I'll talk on the first. Just had to let you. You have great questions all throughout. But I just thought that just hit me. I was just like doubled Ooh. over. I just had to <laughs> let you know if that was spiritual. Yeah, that sugar-free uh, girl. <laughs> um, what have I done? I've had to stop trying to prove. This is going to sound really strange. I've had to stop working in a way that was trying to convince people that had hurt me that I was worthy. So I feel like sometimes we're working, we're succeeding out of revenge. I'm going to show those people that tried me that I'm worthy. I'm going to show them that I can do it. And that is such a limited way of living and of working. It's not about them. They're never going to change. If they do, it's not because of you. It's because of a decision that they made to reevaluate how they come and how they enter the world. Yeah. And so I think I had to stop doing that. I think I was making decisions because I was like, I'm going to get that job and I'm going to show them because they tried me. And it's like, that's giving someone a lot of power over your life, your decisions, how you're going to make your money, how you're going to save yes. how all these things. That's so much power to give people that have been actually trying to rob you of your power Oof. since you entered their space. So why am I giving you more power? 
So I had to stop yeah. doing that. I had to give myself a lot more grace. I think I was really focused on, you know, I need to work at a high level because they think that I'm this really, you know, this hot shot and I have to be like perfect. And I am still working on giving myself a lot of grace. Girl, you're going to make mistakes. Yes. Make mistakes. And it's how you recover from it, how you learn from it. That is the best lesson of all. It is not the art of not making any mistakes and being perfect. It's the lessons that I've learned by making mistakes have been so helpful to me. And finally, sometimes, you know, I think it's practicing gratitude. I'm so thankful or just take, thinking about my life and like, wow, I really came from like this small town, Arizona, and now I'm here. And yes. I think sometimes those like trips down memory lane just reinforce you have done this work. All of this work is yours. Those sleepless nights, those countless notebooks because you were writing down bar, bar information because you had to study, like all of that is yours. And I think I've had to keep telling myself that it wasn't because of any diversity. It wasn't because of any like backdoor plan. That is my legacy. That is my work. That is my contribution to my success. So yes. I'd say those three things. Advice. Advice. <laughs> and you can think on your advice for a second. So I will say in terms of what I've done and to build my confidence over the years is just, I don't know if anything I've actively done so much as just developing a thick skin and mm, realizing mm, that, that no matter how many times they paper cut me, I ain't dead yet. Right. So if it's and you'll never fall, you'll never fall. And that's really what it is. It's like, OK, how many people told me that because I didn't do X or check Xbox like that, I would never be a professor. Here I am. Right. Like, and it's so it's like, right. It's like, here I am. And you don't know how many times or how many people said it won't happen for you. It, you can't do it. Like you didn't go to Yale. Like, I mean, so many different things. And I'm just yeah. like, OK, well, the things that God has for me. You want to do that? <laughs> OK, Sermon. yes, we're going there. The things that God has for me, no one has been successful at taking away from me. And so okay. that has brought me so much confidence in knowing that I may fail. I may yeah. fail to meet someone's expectations. Someone may say something that hurts my feelings, but none of that is going to get in the way of the greatness that God has prepared Hello. for me. Hello. And so it just doesn't matter, right? It just, yeah. it, just it doesn't yeah. phase me in the same way because things that I thought would break me down, would tear me down that I would Hello. never be able to bounce back from. I'm still here. And so there is no confidence greater than knowing that you're meant for greatness and the greatness that you're meant for has already been predetermined. Hello. No one can take it from you. <laughs> no. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm good. Like, I'm I don't great. have to belong here. I don't have to you know, feel good here because I have peace here knowing that God put me here. And it probably ain't forever, but I'm going to go ahead and get whatever I need to get from you from here, from yeah. this experience. Y'all not going to chase me out because I got things to get. <laughs> like, oh, I got girl. things to do. I'm going I'm a somewhere. <laughs> Your girl right? is a planner, a strategy. <laughs> like, I'll see it. I'll be like, I see what you're doing, but I'm going to raise you. Cause I already have my ducks in a row. I already know what my plan right. is. And that gives you the confidence and, and it yeah. it helps you to cut through the noise. And yeah. so it just helps you to be clear and focused and knowing that none of these things matter. None. They don't matter none. at all. Like you don't have to like me. You don't have to talk to me because I'm still here. And until I'm not here anymore, I'm going to be getting everything I'm supposed to get. So y'all can deal with that. Yes. Period. So advice. <sighs> advice. I think it is really important to guard your mind. However you deem to do that. If it means that you're not going in every day, maybe you have a situation where you can go in three times a week instead of all five. I think this is the, the practice of working, particularly as a black person in corporate America is an exercise of mental health. 
people may not think mental that. fortitude. <laughs> well, mental fortitude, right? <laughs> and so I did a lot of work on figuring out the things that made me happy and holding on to that. So like, I personally don't attach, I am a lawyer. That is not my identity, right? Mm. So for me, it was, what are the things that really make me happy, that bring me joy, that ground me, that I've chosen for myself? And so, you know, whether it's beauty, fashion, travel, talking to friends, I think you really need to have a support system that keeps you grounded because you will get tested. And it is important that you, as you said so beautifully, that you know that your destiny, your right, it's already predetermined, it's already set. So you just need to have that apparatus around you that reminds you that that is true, that there's beauty around you, there is strength around you, that your faith is going to get you to the next level. Yes, that is such a fantastic place to end the conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was such an amazing conversation about how to feel more empowered to sit at any table and also to feel empowered enough to sit at your own daggone table. If that's where the spirit leads you, right? Putting those boundaries in place so that you can feel good, happy, joy, empowered wherever you are. So I am so grateful for this conversation Thank you so much for another great episode. And of course, thank all of you out there for tuning in for another fantastic episode. Plenty of conversation, laughs, and of course, plenty of tea. That's 100% sugar-free. Woo chow. Mm-hmm. What a show. We shared some good old tea today, didn't we, friend? Thank you for your presence. I truly enjoyed you at the tea party, and we appreciate you sipping on some sugar-free tea. With me, your host, Sid Mack. Until next time, be sure to connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Sugar Free Podcast or at Sugar Free Pod. You can also visit our website at www.sugarfreepodcast.com. See you again soon, friends, and be sure to keep the tea party going, a with plenty of tea that's 100% sugar-free. Tired of piecing your business forms together from an internet search? Tired of sealing all your business deals with a pinky promise? Looking for a way to add some formality and professionalism to your business relationships? Then you need Formally. Formally is a DIY legal form and template shop for entrepreneurs, small business owners, creatives, freelancers, dreamers, and side hustlers. All Formally forms and templates are drafted by an experienced, licensed business attorney and reviewed by a law professor. So, not to brag or anything, but our forms are pretty legit. So what are you waiting for? Throw those pinky promises away and try formally today.